Our Holy Gospel this morning leads us down a very interesting path. Not only this dangerous, windy road from Jerusalem to Jericho, um, which was about a 3,300-foot drop in elevation from Jerusalem to Jericho over about 15 miles, and was known for violence and robbers until all the way up into the 1930s. But the gospel also takes us on a spiritual journey that confronts us with a foundational question. And who is my neighbor? Let's take a look at the interaction between Jesus and the lawyer. Again, chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, the lawyer stood up and put him to a test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered a question with a question, as he often did. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And this lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, interestingly, that answer that the lawyer gave to him was something that he had learned from Jesus. It was one of Jesus' teaching. Um, that created quite a stir, by the way. If you look in the 22nd chapter of Matthew, there's a time when the Sanhedrin's trying to trick Jesus and ask him all these questions, and then the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus and ask him this main question is, what is the greatest commandment? Now, he didn't pull one of the Ten Commandments, which is probably what they were trying to, to, to get him to do. He pulled from Deuteronomy 6, which is called the Shema, Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. It's like the most ancient statement of faith in the Jewish faith, and it's still used today in daily prayers in the, in the Jewish community. Um, the Lord our God is one, and he says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, Jesus did something that was really wild at this point. That kind of caught him off guard, but he pulls a very obscure verse from Leviticus that says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now to us, that just all goes together because loving your neighbor as yourself is the way that we show how we love God. Okay? But at that point, this, this verse was something that just stunned the people into silence. And the final verse in that section says that, and no one was able to answer him a word. And from that day, did, not, did anyone dare to ask him any more questions? Now, that's a stir. So now we come back to the passage where Jesus is talking to the lawyer. And the lawyer says, desiring to justify himself, trying to make sense out of this. I, I, I believe this. I told you what you t- taught, and I believe this. But who is my neighbor? Now, at first glance, that seems like kind of a rude thing to do or that maybe he's trying to sneak out of of really loving his neighbor. But it's actually a great question because he was a religious law student, the law of Moses. Um, And you have to understand that. You have to go back to the full verse in Leviticus, not just the love your neighbor. And it says, quote, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. By the sons of your own people, 
And so you can see why he might think the sons of his own people are the Jewish people, you know, especially that they're God's chosen people. And, and the, the neighbors, just those who believe like he does, who believe in the one true God, who think and look and act like he does. And sons of my own people, that could even be interpreted very narrowly as saying my own extended family. So I'm only responsible to take care of my kids and my nieces and nephews, and I, you know, I'm only responsible for my extended family. You know, it's much easier to love our friends and to hang out with people who agree with us, isn't it? But Jesus turns the world upside down and makes it even more unsettling for this lawyer with telling a parable. Now, stories are an incredible way to communicate deep value and essential truth. Jesus chose to teach this lawyer, this learned man, by telling him a story, like something you might tell a child or, or a teenager at a summer camp. Okay? He had this incredible way of taking abstract spiritual realities and bringing them down in very tangible, concrete, understandable um, ways. So Jesus tells him, a man was coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him, and they left leaving him half dead. Now by a chance, a priest was going down the road, and he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. And a Levite came down to the place, saw him, but passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw him, and he had compassion. Now, what does the Samaritan in this story show us about who my neighbor is? We begin to notice our neighbors when we start to feel compassion. We begin to notice the neighbor when there's something in our heart that stirs, some emotion that, that strikes us, and we begin to have these feelings. These are important. And if we're going to learn to love our neighbor as ourselves, we have to allow our hearts to burn with passion, calm passion, calm with passion, with passion, compassion. As followers of Jesus, that's just part of, of what it means, is that we, we learn to have feelings for other people's pain. It's not just about me and myself, but it's about how others, that they experience pain like I experience pain. They experience loss like I experience loss. And that compassion comes from knowing Christ. We begin to start seeing others like God sees them. You know, it's uh, easy, not easy to care for other folks and even our neighbors, but it's particularly difficult to, to love your enemies and to care for your enemies and see them as a neighbor. And as a Jewish man, hearing the hero of this story is a Samaritan who's a sworn enemy of the Jews was quite a shocking revelation as well. One of the major influences in my life was a man named Jabbo Cox. And if some of you were around in the 70s and 80s, you may know Jabbo. Uh, and his involvement with Young Life. But Jabbo was, uh, in the 1940s, was um, an heroin addict, had an addiction uh, from playing guitar in the bars of New York City. And he, he met this wonderful person that, 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 that introduced him to Christ and kind of began this journey where he then went to a Bible college um, in Jacksonville, in fact, and then returned to the streets, the urban streets of Jacksonville, as a minister, um, 
and working with teenagers. And this is how I, I got to know him just through um, ministry. Had a huge influence on my early understanding of what it means to be a minister, what it means to really care for people on the edges. And Jabal told me that more than once there was a teenager that said, you're the only minister I've ever met. Which is, sounds like too many of us are walking on the other side of the road as we're uh, facing these situations. Well, Jabal could be really tough and really scary. I mean, he was a kind of a scary guy, but probably one of the most compassionate and loving people I've ever met. And just, I just learned so much from him. Uh, he told me one time that um, they had a time of testimony and people were getting up and saying, you know, since I've accepted Jesus, my life's just wonderful. And, you know, Jesus has just been so, you know, great and that all my problems went away. And Jabbo got up and he said, before I met Jesus, my life was easy. I just didn't care about anybody or anything. It was all about me. And he said, but when I met Jesus, my life got really hard because I had to learn to love. All my troubles started after I became a Christian. Compassion puts us in difficult places, and we notice tough situations, and we feel this compulsion. We're compelled to help. And so we're moving into difficult places with some hard-to-love people. And I guess when I look back, I was probably one of those hard-to-love people in a difficult place. But people found me and, and introduced me to Christ. And as the psalmist writes in today, O oh Lord, remember not the sins and offenses of my youth, but according to your mercy, think on me, O oh Lord, in your goodness. We forgive much because we have been forgiven much. Verse 34, the Samaritan went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. We get to know our neighbor when we see the person and not only the need. We get to know our neighbor when we see the person and not only the need. I can only imagine at this level of care that it was not done in silence. The Samaritan could not have offered this intimate attention of cleansing the, the wounds and binding up his, his wounds, pouring oil and wine and um, without a great deal of interaction, encouragement and comforting of this man who had been beaten and abused. That there was a, a relationship that was part of the key. And one of the kindest and most compassionate things that we can ever do for someone is just to listen and just to hear their story. And what's so amazing is these stories are just absolutely fascinating. What people's lives and what they've been through. And, and, and they're in these tough places. And we feel this compulsion. We come and we, we build that relationship. Uh, if we're only consumed with looking at the need, then we miss the beautiful humanity behind that need. Servants of Christ, you're an amazing group of people who see needs and meet them. Fully 10% of our budget is given to missions, globally and locally and regionally and nationally. Uh, you give without expecting anything in return. Okay. You not only give your money, but you give your time in Young Life, in Gainesville Community Ministries, at the Mar Grace Marketplace, and now we're starting the um, Come and See Worship at Grace Marketplace, the Hurricane Recovery, being a lunch buddy at Little Wood Elementary next door. I think that's part of what makes Servants a special church, um, and we love being a part of it, is that we strive to create room for the Holy Spirit to work. 
Um, and God, as a result, God gives us a heightened recognition of the dignity of the people we serve. Verse 35, And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and I will repay you when I come back, whatever else is spent. So what does that teach us? It teaches to love our neighbor involves sacrifice of our time. The next day, which meant the Samaritan delayed his trip and he had to pay for his own lodging, his own food, and miss whatever it was he was going to do, time with his family or whatever, and our money, two denarii is roughly equal to um, a day's wages, two days' wages uh, of what the money he gave and, and offered to give some more. And our personal credibility. The innkeeper must have known the Samaritan to be willing to, to let this happen and, and to have this deal. And so he's using his credibility to help this man get up on his feet. Loving our neighbors always involves giving up something else. Okay? There's always a sacrifice. And it's not always easy and it's not always fun. But make no mistake, loving your neighbor, loving your family, loving your church, following Jesus involves sacrifice. Helping others is tough. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was speaking about the fact that grace is not cheap. And he said grace isn't cheap because it costs God the life of his son. But truly loving our neighbor is a sacrifice that comes with following Jesus. It's not a way of earning salvation. It's an expression of our gratitude for what's been done for us and our ability to, to help others. Our Colossians reading reminds us, and so from this day we heard, you have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom, and understand so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in knowledge of God. When you give, when you open your hands, when you lose your life, you receive, you get something back, you get knowledge, you get understanding, you get some new skills, you develop some character, you learn a whole lot about the fact that I'm part of what God's doing here. It's not just about me, which I've never seen a happy, selfish person. It's about what Christ is doing here, and I want to participate with that when we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Our sacrifice for others, the good of others, particularly the widow, the orphan, and the stranger, is pleasing to God and part of our response to the gift of salvation. Every time we stretch ourselves out of our comfort zone by caring for others with, with no thought of anything in, in return, we gain new insights and even some new skills. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one that showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. So what can we learn from that interaction, that part of it? We can remain a good neighbor by recognizing our limitations and our boundaries. We can remain a good neighbor. We can continue to do this year after year after year by recognizing limitations and boundaries. I just was thinking about a friend of ours that we were friends with and had contact with, he actually moved up um, to where we were in the area where we lived for like 30, 35 years. 
but he had such a needy person that he couldn't maintain any other relationships hardly except you know just for a temporary period of time because he just burned people out and part of the reason we were able to stay a good neighbor to him for decades is the fact that we put boundaries and knew our limitations on dealing and interacting with him so the best way we can help people sometimes is to set boundaries where they don't have the ability to do so this Samaritan showed them man mercy. He went beyond, far beyond what anybody could ever have imagined uh, in helping him, but just long enough to get him on his feet. He didn't bring the man into his home. He didn't take responsibility for more than he should have. He didn't get enmeshed in the problem and pulled into the drama. He simply showed the man practical mercy, and it gave him the respect of stepping back when enough was enough. Knowing when to let go and move on is actually an act of empowerment. You're communicating that you have confidence in the person that you've been helping that they can make it. They just had a rough time and needed a little help to get up on their feet and to get back into to the flow of life. I know there are exceptions to that in, in life, in the real world, you know, but the, the fact is a lot of the times when we help people, we need to know how to let go and empower them to move on. That's the nature of a healthy relationship. Dependency is never true friendship. Sometimes the best thing we can do for others is to let them help us. And there's a lot of really very interesting stories behind that. When we went to Marketplace um, that little while ago, um, and I was sharing with one of the residents there, he was a drug addict, and that I have a son that's dealing with a lot of addiction. Um, and he said, I don't know much about how to pray but can I pray for you? I said, sure, please do. And so he prayed for me and prayed for my son, and I prayed for him. And it, it was just the fact that, that it wasn't about what we had. It was about two brothers in Christ sharing and helping each other because that's what a relationship is, is that we help each other in a way that makes us both better. And I was so grateful for his prayers and have thought about that in, um, many, many times. And sometimes we're the one who's the beaten, robbed man, and we're the one that needs the help. And, and we never want people to help us so long that we become dependent. We, want, we just want to help to get up on our feet to where we can move on. So the parable of the Good Samaritan answers a very direct question, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus led that lawyer to this answer, the one that showed him mercy. It's a true neighbor. So once again, Jesus is doing the unexpected. The short answer is following Jesus means that we're really not trying to figure out who's worthy of being my friend or who's worthy of being my neighbor or who's worthy of my attention. The proper question that the lawyer should have asked is, how can I love my neighbor as myself? How can I be a better neighbor? And Jesus changes that around from the fact that we're not in the position of being the judge. We're in the position of being the neighbor. So the four points that we went over was we begin to notice our neighbor when we start to feel compassion, when there's something in our heart. We get to know our neighbor when we see the person and not just the need. We can serve our neighbor, through, but it is, involves sacrifice of time and money and our credibility. And we remain a good neighbor by recognizing our limitations and our boundaries. Can we do this? 
Yeah, the Old Testament says it's not that hard. It says, for the command that I give you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and, and bring it back to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you. It's in your heart. It's in your words, your mouth so that you can do it. Coming to faith in Christ as Savior and Redeemer and Lord is trans, life-transforming. Make no mistake about it, He's calling you to die to yourself and to your greed and to your egocentrism. He's calling you to die to self and live to Christ. But it is the way of abundant life. If you don't know Him yet, or you're not abiding in him, now's the time to begin that journey. It's, it's the promise of, of meaningful relationships, of, of, of life having purpose. God has been pursuing all of us since before we were born. God's the one pursuing. And it's time for us to stop running and stop pushing away, but just to respond to what God is doing in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds. Come into the fullness of this family as servants. We want you here. We want you to be a part of this family. That's part of the, 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 the good life is having a support structure. Um, and you know, even though you may never come across somebody who's actually been beat up and left on the side of the road, and, um, and you know, now we just call 911 and get out of the way, you know, which that, that's kind of nice, you know. All around us are people who are emotionally and relationally, sometimes physically, just beaten and abused by the, by the pain of life. And we need to notice them, and we need to invite them. And it's, it's not insulting to someone to invite them. Okay? It's a little more hurtful when you don't get invited. They're not going to be upset when you say, hey, I'd love for you to come hang out with me at the coffee shop or at the women's Bible study or at the men's mission trip or whatever. Invite folks into this abundant life and into this relationship with Christ. Cross the road. Don't go across the road and see what God can do. One of the best things we can do is to recognize, notice, serve, and remain a good friend. It's not easy, but it's what Jesus did for us. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor? The man who showed, pers- um, showed him mercy. And Jesus said to the lawyer and to us, you go and do likewise. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.